Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. How, how are you doing? Great? Like, forgive me, it seems like everybody's a little bit, like, subdued. So everyone's okay? All right, that's great, because I suck at counseling. <laughs> it is not my gift, and so I am pleased. I thought there might be a lineup for my office <laughs> on Monday. Oh, Tuesday. Okay, well, this is, I'm going to give it my best shot. If you're not good this morning, I'm going to see if we can be good by the time we get done here this morning. So let's, uh, let's hope that uh, we, can, we can lean in to what we're going to be talking about this morning, because if we do, it's going to make a big difference for us all. Um, first of all, I should say happy Thanksgiving. That kind of gives us a good foundation for where we're going to go this morning. We're going to talk about th- Thanksgiving in the midst of all of this too, so that point is not lost on me. But um, this is a series called The Just Do It, which is to say the just, those who have been justified by faith, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, go out and live for Him. The just do it. And so that's what we're talking about here. And we're going through the book of Ephesians, more specifically, this whole series is based on the book of Ephesians. And so we've been touring along through that, and and we're going to carry on now into chapter 4. And so as we make the turn from the first three chapters into the last three chapters, we see that Paul makes a shift. Up till this point, he has been weaving doctrine all the way through the first three chapters. It's been heavy in doctrine. And doctrine continues on into the second half of the book. But more so, we see Paul turned now to the practical outworkings of that. So he's been focused on doctrine, looking at the big picture of God, what God's purpose is and what his plan is for us. And from there now, he's beginning to move to the practical outworkings of that doctrine. Okay, so we're starting to see that he's moving from our doctrine to its dictates, what it calls us to as God's people. And I should make a mention here too that this series is for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you haven't come to that place, well then some of this is maybe going to be lost on you a little bit. It's not going to resonate if you don't have the same baseline beliefs. But hang in there, stick around, because this is what this is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. It pivots on what we're going to be talking about today and what Paul talks about through this whole book. All right, so it's a great time for you to be around to check it out. So he's moving from our doctrine now to our dictates. He's moving from the revelation of God to its application in our lives. And what's more, as John Stott says, he's moving now, uh, Paul is moving now 
from the credenda to the agenda, which, I, like, I mean, does that not get your blood pumping? Come on, I get goosebumps just talking about that. Paul's moving from the credenda to the agenda. So he's bringing this all together now. He's given us what we believe, and now he's going to lay out for us what that means for you and I in our lives, how we start to live our lives based on what we've just been talking about there. So let's get to it. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, this morning, again, for this time, we just commit it to you, and we would ask that by your Spirit that you would come and that you would work in our hearts and in our minds that you would help us to make this turn with Paul, Lord, that you would help us to take what he's taught us in the first three chapters and that you would help us to see how that applies for each one of us today going forward. And so to that end, I pray these things now and I ask these things all for Christ's sake and in his name, amen. All right, so in broad terms then, Paul begins to speak of the practical outworkings of our faith and he does so in two respects. In verses 1 to 16, he focuses on our need to grow in unity, which we were talking about last week. And we're going to carry on a little bit with that this morning. But in then from verse 17 of chapter 4, all the way through then into chapter 5, verse 14, then Paul talks about the priority of our growing in holiness. That we, as God's people, are to become like God. That we are to emulate Him. That we are to become like Him in our character and in our actions, our, the outworkings of our lives. So not just internally, but also externally as to how we live. And once again, we're going to only, only be able to hit some of the highlights this morning in these sections, and we're going to have to go through it fairly fast at that. So buckle up. Let's go. Verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and we're going to start with verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul says, I urge you to, get, to live your life, a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul starts off with this broad-based appeal. He says to his readers that he's appealing to us now that we would live our lives worthy of the calling that we have received from God. So Paul begins with this comprehensive exhortation, and we can't miss it, though, this morning. We can, we can sometimes just blow right past that. We need to stop and again examine and understand what Paul is calling to, to us to in that. So we see, first of all, I urge you, in some of your versions, in your translations, it might be translated as beg. Rather than I urge you to live a life worthy of the, the calling, Paul says, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling. And that points to Paul's number one most sincere desire, but more so, it points to the significance of what is being asked, what he is calling us to in that. And Paul's plea in this is no less that, the, that the, we would then determine now to live our lives in a manner worthy of what God has done for us and what he is calling us to. So we see the scope of what he's calling us to in that. In essence then, what Paul is saying is this, because God, number one, out of eternity has purposed to bring you not just into being, that he purposed not just to create you, 
but that He is also then purposed to bring you into relationship with Him because of that. Because number two, since He brought you near to Him, since He is through Christ now brought us near to Him that we're far away from Him in sin, that we need to respond to God, that on account of the fact that He accomplished this bringing us near by reconciling us to Himself through Jesus Christ, through His death and His resurrection, now in recognition then of also His plan to bring us together into harmony with Him and to bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, ultimately, and furthermore, because of His determination then to live in us by His Spirit and to make us a demonstration of His manifold wisdom to the rest of creation out there, then we are to live worthy lives. We must live worthy lives. So Paul gives us this huge statement, this huge plea right off the hop. And by doing so, he is showing to us, he's demonstrating to us the level of the calling on our lives. He's pointing back to everything that he's been talking about so far and everything else that we've been talking about up to this point in this series. So for Paul and for you and I this morning, I trust that it's also true that out of our recognition for what God has done and our gratitude to God for what He has done, then that we would see that there is no other option than that we would then live worthy lives for Him going forward. The scope and grandeur of our having been chosen by God and called by Him is incomprehensible. That Almighty God, the one and only God, the Creator of heaven and earth and of you and I has called you and I today to be His people. Now, like, I mean, does that not change the way that you see life? Does that not give you a whole different perspective going forward? Does that not set the tone for everything else that we encounter in life? You are here this morning by design, not by accident. What's more, you are desired by God. And in being desired by God, then you understand that today you need to understand that you have infinite worth to Him. What's more, you are a demonstration of God and therefore now have purpose going forward. We wander around in life wondering what life is all about. There, right in a nutshell, it is, is the whole deal. That we're to be a demonstration of God. That changes the way that we go forward. Or it should. What's more now is that you are also a part of the family of God. And therefore, you have a future. Now, in that, in those things now, we find the core for which we can be thankful. And it's appropriate that we're hitting this passage, again, all by God's design, not my smarts, on Thanksgiving weekend. 
At the end of the day, these things that we've just unpacked, that we've just looked at, give us the core for happiness regardless of the rest of the lo- our lives, whatever is going on. And I know that there have been some difficult things. There have been some difficult things for some people here today, this past week. But this changes even the way that we see difficult things. The world is left to conjure up thankfulness in terms of things such as material blessings, peripherals, like our physical circumstances, or maybe other relativities, whatever they might be, the car that we drive or whatever that is, the house that we live in, blah, 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 whatever floats your boat. And it's not that we shouldn't be thankful for them. Bruce prayed for them this morning and we should be thankful for those. But the fact is they pale in comparison today to what we have been given in Christ. And in fact then, what we've been given in God and what He calls us to then transcends all of these things around us, all of these peripherals, such that we can be thankful even without having the material blessings, the physical attributes or conditions that we prefer, want, what have you, etc. Our thankfulness goes far deeper than those things and helps us to understand that those things really aren't where thankfulness should stem from for you and I as followers of God today. So having then called us now to live worthy lives, if you will, Paul goes on, moves forward, and now points us to how we can actually begin to accomplish that. So looking at verses 2 to 6, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, as we saw last week, Christ has established His new people, you and I, as this one new humanity. So we are to be united as His people. But now Paul speaks into that, and he tells us how we're to accomplish this this unity in the body. And he does so quite succinctly, actually, with five words. Humility gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. And at this point, you're dismissed. Literally. Like, I mean, we should be able to walk away this morning and go home with those five things to work on and have enough that we would never have to come back to church as far as tools to accomplish what God is looking for and the understanding of where we need to go in our lives. Just go home and work on those five things. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. 
That's a lifetime of material, and near as I can tell, at least for me. Humility is a deference to others and their importance and worth, specifically. Gentleness speaks to refraining from asserting our rights over others. It's laying down our rights for the sake of others. Patience is simply having a long fuse, not being quick to violence or temper. Bearing with one another is tolerance for one another. Not tolerance for doing things wrong or badly, but tolerance for our idiosyncrasies, for the characteristics that grate on you and I, where we just don't see things the same as that other person, where we don't kind of understand those nuances and they irritate us. Forbearance is learning to live with those and smile and just understand, hey, that's just baiting. It's just the way that he rolls. I don't get it, but it's all right. I can live with it. And in turn, for me to do the same with everyone else. And all of these things then are to be exercised in love. And Paul's sharp. Right? He's cagey. Because it, up to that point, well, we could go home and we could work on all of those things just as they are. That we could put them on as a good front. They could be a facade. We could be patient. We could groom ourselves to be bearing with one another. We could be humble and gentle. And it could all just more or less be an outward act. But as Paul throws in love, then we understand now that those things have to be motivated out of the right perspective. That they have to be motivated by our love. So it's not just that I'm doing this to get it checked off the list, accomplish it or whatever, but that I am doing this with everyone's best interests and heart. I'm doing it for the right reasons because I love you and I love God. And at that point, I got a lot more to work on. Because sometimes I can pull those things off, those other four things off. But I got to be so careful that I'm doing them in the right way, because otherwise, they're of no consequence. Our love is to inform and influence all of these other areas with one another. Now, it's also important that we notice in verse 3 where Paul says, make every effort. Make every effort, he says. And that doesn't come anywhere near catch, catching or capturing the, the significance of what Paul's saying, the sentiment of what Paul's saying here. It's, it's, just, it's just a gross understatement of what's involved. Marcus Barth unpacks it for us better. He says that make every effort in the Greek is far different. He says it is hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb. Not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, sentiment, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. 
Now, make every effort, in my mind, doesn't translate into what Barth just defined that as more, more accurately, more completely. And when I understand Barth's definition, that changes the way that I understand what Paul is saying to me this morning. And I hope that it does for all of us. Others would point to the fact that in that verb, that Greek verb, there's an element, there's a a nuance of crisis involved. And you know what a crisis is like, right? When all of a sudden you hit something in your world that actually is a crisis that completely has you focused on the issue at hand. Everything else disappears. And we become just totally fixated and focused on whatever that crisis is, beginning to try and address it, beginning to try and resolve it, to work with it, accomplish whatever needs to be done to avert the crisis, to get out of the crisis or what have you. So that's kind of, again, another picture, another understanding perspective on what Paul is calling us to. So Paul isn't saying this morning, hey, kids, give it the old college try. He's saying that we need to do everything within our power to accomplish this, this unity. Everything within our power. And so therefore, as we read that verse this morning, then we need to understand that as an entreaty to us by Paul from God to our utmost commitment and effort in accomplishing unity within the body of Christ. Nowadays, some would say it this way. When it comes to unity, we've got to man up. And honestly, I don't think we have been. For quite a while. Disunity reigns. We talked about this more before, so I won't go into it again, another tri- tirade. But we've got to man up when it comes to this whole unity thing because that's what Paul is telling us God wants. It's not just sort of a flippant suggestion, it's not even just for our own good, it's his deal. He wants unity within his body. So after pointing again to our unity stemming from God in verses 4 to 6, then Paul broaches an interesting point. Namely, that our unity is also accomplished by virtue of the variety of gifts that Christ has given us. This morning we don't have time to get into it and unpack all of this, but here's the deal. Every one of us that has placed our faith in Jesus Christ at that point has been given a gift or gifts by Jesus Christ himself through the Spirit. Not the gifts of the Spirit. Sorry, not the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit is what I'm talking about. So every one of us has been given a gift or gifts and Paul's telling us here this morning that they are for accomplishing the unity that God is calling us to. So in support of this, in verses 8 to 10, then Paul references Psalm 68. And again, we won't go into that this morning, but I'll leave that for you to do some research on as to why he's using that verse in the Old Testament as grounds, as, as 
evidence for what he's calling us to here now. So we'll take a look at verse 7 and we'll carry on from 11 to 13. So there Paul says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Grace is the same word for gifts in Greek. Gifts have been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now Paul packs a whole ton of stuff into that little section of Scripture. And it'd be fun to just be able to take some time to go back and unpack that section by section, but we'll have to leave that for another time. But this is fascinating, I think. I hope that you think it's fascinating, compelling. Jesus, in his wisdom, has decided, has determined that he's going to give us gifts, which we are now to employ to build up the body until we reach unity in the faith. Now, something that you've never heard Jesus say and you'll never hear Jesus say is, oh, I didn't think of that. So when he calls us to unity, he's got a plan in mind and these gifts are a big part of it. And we need to understand that today. That he's calling us to unity and he's figured out how this is going to actually work. He has a plan for that. He's going to give us gifts. And our part then is to go out and use those gifts, leverage them, exploit them for the unity of the body. Now, the fact that Christ has given us a variety of gifts tells us that none of us then have all the gifts. He's given us a variety of gifts, not all of the gifts. Some of the tools, not the whole box. Which then implies a diversity in the body. Therefore, as Peter O'Brien and other commentators have pointed out, unity in Christ, unity in Christ is not uniformity which is to say that we're not all exactly the same, which is another way of saying that you are therefore necessary. Because we're not all the same. You are an integral part of this puzzle. And you can't be replaced by someone else this morning. The variety of gifts that He has given you, God has given you, in the circumstances in which He has placed you are specifically meant to accomplish what He's calling us to, this unity. At the same time, it doesn't overshadow our uniqueness and individuality. So, our unity doesn't undermine our individuality. But our uniqueness and our individuality 
indicate then our dependence. They are not a guarantee of our self-sufficiency. So we're unique, we're different, we've got a variety of gifts. But that doesn't mean that we're self-sufficient on our own. The fact that God has given us a variety of gifts points to our interdependence. Not independence, interdependence. So you're integral to this whole process. But the fact is, is that everyone else is as well. So we need one another when it comes to all of this. We can't accomplish it on our own for ourselves or for anyone else. Therefore, a united effort is necessary from all of us in order to reach unity together. So often I think that we resist using our gifts because we feel inadequate or insufficient in our ability. But here we're confronted with the fact that the far greater danger is withholding our gifts and our service that Christ has given us. Because as we do, that becomes a problem for you and for me. Not using your gifts because you don't think that you're able pales in comparison to withholding your gift when we've been told definitively that we need all of us working together in order to accomplish this thing. So how I feel about my gift isn't an excuse. As we use our gifts, the body is built up. People come to know God and grow in their faith. But as we withhold our gifts in our service, the body does not grow. Unity isn't accomplished. Maturity is not reached for either ourselves or anyone else. We also, I think, fail to serve the body because we have not determined it as a priority. Somewhere along the line, we've understood God's command to us here through Paul as optional. Or, we've never understood it. Or worse yet, we have just willfully ignored it. I don't really have to serve because I don't want to. Just talk to the hand. And I would tend to say that it's been replaced by serving ourselves. That's become more of our focus. As I don't serve, it's not that I don't do anything. And even if I don't do anything, that's all in service of myself. So we serve ourselves rather than the body. But here, now we see from Paul that withholding our service is a violation of the ethics that flow from the doctrine that Paul has just previously outlined. Which is a colossal derailment. 
It's an aberration of the agenda that flows from the credenda. Now that's good preaching, Doug. <laughs> Pastor Ta taught me that. Every once in a while you've got to stop and encourage yourself in the Lord. <laughs> so simply put, as we don't find and employ our gifts, we are working in opposition to God's plan and purpose. Try that on for size. Think about that for a moment. As we don't find our gifts and a way to serve, then we are actually working in opposition to God's plan and purpose. And for that, there's only one thing that we have to do, and that's repent. As his people, we have to repent. Go to God and say, I am sorry for the way that I have blown this thing up. And we have to determine to turn to where he wants us to be. As we do that, in verses 14 to 16, then Paul shows us the benefits for us doing our part. That we grow strong in our faith. That we mature in our relationships with one another and with God. And then the whole body grows together. Now, from chapter 4, verse 17 to chapter 5, verse 14, Paul turns to the imperative of living holy lives. And we're going to blow through this really fast this morning. And I apologize for that. And sometime we will come back and go over this, I trust, God willing. We can unpack it in more depth because we could spend a whole morning here without even breaking a sweat. In the, in the course of those verses, Paul outlines some specifics for us. Number one, that we are to speak the truth. Two, we're to control our anger. Three, we're to work and not steal. Four, we're to control our tongues. Five, that we're to rid ourselves of bitterness, rage, brawling, and slander. And then every hint of malice. And again, we could go home now with lots to work on. A ton of stuff there. Instead, Paul suggests, not suggests, commands that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. That we're to forgive each other with Jesus as our model and our example. Then he goes on, just for cherry on top, to talk about sexual immorality, which is a talk that we need to have nowadays. More and more. We're not going to have that this morning. You can look forward to that. Another day. But bookending these topics then, these specifics in the middle, Paul then talks categorically about our responsibility to be holy. And that's where I want to spend a bit of time. Just a few minutes here as we close this morning. As he speaks to the need for us to be holy people. As an example for him and the world around us. So let's take a look at this. Ephesians 4, 
verses 17 to 24 start off saying this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Let's stop there for a second. Paul isn't saying here again, good idea, kids. How about you all snag this and run with it? Paul's saying, no, listen, this, I insist on this in the Lord. This is coming straight from God, not from him. This isn't something that's negotiable. This isn't up for debate. I insist on this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now remember, he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles. He's writing to the Gentiles in, in Ephesus and other maybe churches in the neighborhood. And he calls them Gentiles. But remember, he's now speaking to them from the other perspective that he's just given us. That we are now no longer Jews or Gentiles, but that we are God's people. So he's calling them to see their lives differently and to look at those around them as different from them now because they are now God's. God's people. And so he points back to their neighbors, their friends, the, the, the people in the world around them. And he says, you are no longer to live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Which it all starts at the hardening of their hearts. We can't get into it. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. When you are taught in Him. Again, point being here, kids. Sorry. Two of my trolls are here. So I was just talking to them for a second, not the rest of you. The point being is that you and I need to learn about what God has told us to be. That we can't just wander around in life making up plans for ourselves. And that it's on us, it's on our shoulders to understand who God is calling us to be today. Which means then that we gotta do what we gotta do to make sure that that happens. Whether that's being in our word on daily basis or whether we need to be at church so that some yahoo like Bainton can throw some things out that at least I have to chew on every once in a while and understand, well, do I accept that or not, what have you. Maybe you need to be a talking Jesus. We're gonna try and do some other things coming up in the weeks ahead too where we can do some more teaching on stuff so that we can be the people that we need to be. Anyways, that was sorry, that was in my notes. Where was I? That, however, is not the way that, of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul then jumps, will jump, down to Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 13. Now, Paul says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in, in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, 
But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This morning, Paul's telling us that a life worthy of God's calling is a life where you and I, as followers of Christ, abandon our old sinful habits and practices along with our carnal nature that is given over to sensuality and leading us into immorality. That as we come to Christ, then that we turn away then from the world and what it teaches. That we are to be different. For too long, for too long, the church has preached that in coming to Christ that we don't need to change. That's hooey. Pure, unadulterated garbage. Somehow the church says that we, all we need to be is saved. Just make, make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and then go back to your lives as normal. Paul's telling us, bunk, no dice, no deal. When we come to Christ, we're making a wholesale change in our lives. We don't get it all at once, I understand that. But we're signing on for something new and we're in on what that means. And that means we're out of whatever it doesn't. For us to be the church, we need to make a clean break from the darkness and not dabble in it anymore. Instead, and what's more, Paul gives us something positive to work on, and we'll leave it there for today. You are children of light. Which is to say that you are to produce goodness and righteousness and truth. That it's not just that we don't get to party. That life going forward is going to suck because we get no fun. That's not it. We leave that junk behind so that we can produce goodness and righteousness and truth. And that mission is unparalleled in missions given to man. And it doesn't lead us to a nice life. It doesn't lead us always to an easy life. But it leads us to a fulfilling life. At least it leads us to a life that means something, that's of consequence. What's more, it leads us to a worthy life based on what God has called us to because of who he is and what he has done. None of this, none of this, I'll remind you one more time, can be accomplished on our own. As we go into the rest of this day and the Thanksgiving weekend and as we go back to friends, family, meals, what have you, football games, etc. Let's not lose sight of this stuff and let's remember to be asking God for his power today. We can be thankful for the fact that by his power we can come alongside him or he can come alongside us and help us accomplish this in our lives and lead us into those lives that are worthy. Let's pray. Father, today again, we stop and we say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his boldness to proclaim it. God, I pray that you would help us not to to fall on deaf ears today, that your word would return to you bearing fruit, not void. So to that end, God, that means we all must make a decision today that you and I have to make a decision as God's people 
And so I would pray for all of us that we would make that decision, that you by your spirit would work in our hearts and our minds so that we would know and that we would then determine to make the turn. That our agenda would now flow out of the credenda that we've understood and we understand that we, st- that we say we stand on. That our lives, lives would come in line with our doctrine. And that we would grow then in unity and holiness as to be a demonstration of God to the world around us. So as your people, we pray for your blessing upon us. And we ask this now in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. How are you doing? Well, I'm still not convinced. I'll try better next week. Hey, if anybody is able to hang around for about 10 minutes to help us let the kids get out of uh, FEC Kids, then we need to move some chairs into the FEC Kids area so that we've got um, everything ready to go for Cornerstones coming up in their big event on Tuesday night. So if you're able to hang around and help us with that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.